you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. And now, Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Move the Sticks. DJ Bucky here in the uh, really the last couple weeks here before everything really gets cranked up with the NFL season college practice right around the corner. Uh, we've been gone for a little bit. Lots happened, Buck. We got a lot to get to today. Yeah, we got a lot to get to, and I know we have it at the end of the rundown. But I'm gonna talk about this now, man. Congratulations to you being named a part of the LA Chargers broadcast team. Uh, that is a pretty kind. Cool, that's a pretty that's a pretty cool deal. Um, I think. No, when you, I tell you what. No, nah, it's you, exciting, man. It, I, I'm I'm pumped. It's one of those things where you don't, you know, as a kid, that would be just a dream job and not ever thinking something like that would happen and and this kind of all just happened real quickly so to be able to to call nfl games and do it for a team that you grew up watching and then to do it with money who's one of our good buddies yeah chargers chargers win lots of charger drops coming on the move the six pod uh uh this coming season but buck i appreciate that you left me a nice message man uh means a lot sully you reached out as well uh it's fun it's fun it's it's an exciting time and from a family standpoint, it allows me to call some games uh, without having to miss uh, my kids' games on Friday nights. So it, it really worked out perfectly. No, nah, that's cool. I mean, I think that's a great thing. Um, you talk about growing up, um, being a Chargers fan, going to games, like to now sit in the seat to be able to see it firsthand. Like, obviously, it's kind of like a circular process to be able to go and, and kind of do what you've always wanted to do. I mean, it's always good when you hear people uh, are able to fulfill some of their dreams. So it's good. Congrats yeah. to you. I appreciate it, buddy. I appreciate it, man. We got a lot to a lot to get to today. Uh, Going to talk about your trip because you've been gone. You're out the, at the opening. We had Rhett step in for you. Did an admirable job. Uh, but it's great to have you back in the chair. Talk about what you saw there at that high school All-American event. I spent a couple days down in Florida uh, visiting with the EA folks, with the Madden folks. So I can tell you a little bit about what went on there. Uh, we've got this discussion going around about college football versus NFL football. We'll have some fun there. And then this one, Buck, I'm kind of putting you on the spot with this one because doing some of the stuff with the Madden crew, I went back and, and looked up some old grading skills. 
and found pro grading skill. So I thought we'd have a little fun game where I'll give you the grade and what the description of the grade is, and you give me an NFL player on the pro scale that, that matches that. Sounds fun? Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. All right, let's jump in. Why don't you lead us off here, man, because I've been dying to talk to you and get your feedback on uh, on the opening. The opening is an event with all the top high school players in the country, but it's also an event where you have current NFL players as well as some of the top college players that show up there. So take us behind the scenes a little bit. What went on? I know this year it was in Dallas, right? It was not up in, in, in Oregon. No, and actually it benefited from being at an NFL facility. I can say first things first, like the Dallas Cowboys and what they – offer their players and everything first class organization first class facilities uh moving the event from portland to dallas kind of put us in the epicenter of football uh you talk about a i mean a a facility that seats twelve thousand people inside a stadium they gave us access to their practice facility and the meeting rooms so the kids got an opportunity to be a pro before they actually will be pros um to have some of the NFL players that came through, uh, Corey Coleman, uh, Antonio Brown, uh, Todd Gurley came through, uh, DeMarcus Ware, old colleague, came through. Like so many guys, Ezekiel Elliott was one of the guys who was inducted into the Hall of Fame for the opening. Uh, so many guys came through and spent time with the kids. Rob Gronkowski was also there working with guys. Wow. And so for me, as an adult, I can only imagine being a teenager, being exposed to some of the best of the best at the game and then to get the coaching and the competition and to see everybody come to play out you were able to already identify some guys that we know that we're going to talk about in the next three or four years and so it's a great event Um, it's a terrific event particularly when it comes to looking at quarterbacks because you kind of get a chance to see quarterbacks in an environment where it might be the first time that they face defenses that have the kind of speed that they'll see at the next level and even the next level beyond the collegiate level it's good to see how those guys react how they process information how they go through it more importantly the kind of resiliency and toughness that they display when adversity hits but i will say two names that you need to monitor and watch uh quarterbacks spencer rattler and bo nix Spencer Rattler was the Elite 11 MVP. Look, he light, he lit it up. He's a kid that plays in Arizona. Quarterback that is going to Oklahoma. Another smaller size quarterback in that Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray mold. But look, he can spin it like nobody's business. And then Bo Nix, who is the son of Patrick Nix, who played at Auburn. He's committed to go to Auburn. When you look at him, he is a prototypical franchise quarterback, size, arm talent, high IQ, competitive. And I think when you asked all the kids – if you could build a program around one quarterback, Bo Nix's name came out of everybody's mouth. I think it speaks volumes about what kind of guy he is and what kind of player he is. That's fantastic, man. What uh, Were there any uh, any college kids this year or just pros? No, no, no. It was college kids. So, man, we had so many guys. Bryce Love and Dexter Lawrence were both there. So it was good to catch up with them. I haven't seen some of those guys since high school. So talking to them. Um, God, we had Jalen Rager, who was their wide receiver. Caden Smith, the tight end from Stanford, was there. Uh, Rashawn Gary was there. And it was funny because he was there, I think, on the day that we released the first look about him. So it was good to kind of be around him and see him and see him move around. And I got a chance to watch all of those guys work out because Tom Shaw was there and he took him through a little workout uh, in the Dallas facility and to watch those guys move. You talk about upper echelon A-plus college prospects to see them move. It really gave you some perspective. And Rashawn Gary is everything that you talk about in terms of, I think you made the comparison maybe to Cam Jordan. Yeah. You take Cam Jordan and add even a little more athleticism, 
I think you do have Rashawn Gary. And I'll be the first to admit that when I looked at Cam Jordan at Cal, I didn't think that he would blossom into the dominant player that he has been. But he is a lesson for me to take what he has been able to do as a pro and look at Rashawn Gary and project a little more as opposed to just take what I've seen to performance and production to this point at Michigan. Yeah, he's a phenomenal athlete. I got a, I cracked up a little bit because I got uh, Michigan Michigan football account retweeted the first look. Here, I'm comparing him to Cam Jordan. I, I believe was one of the three finalists for defensive player of the year in the NFL last year. One of the best defensive, not defensive, one of the best defensive players in the league. And Michigan retweets it and says, no, he's, 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 because it said like, is this, you know, they, they put it together in terms of the tweet and I had to make a comparison, but they tweet it out and say, is this the next Cam Jordan? And then Michigan account tweets it out and says, no, this is just Rashawn Gary or something like that. I'm like, okay, all right, Michigan. I, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of funny how people take certain things that you say. By comparing you to one of the best players on the planet, you know, and you're a college kid. That's about oh, the, don't worry. that's about par for the course for Michigan though. They're, they're pretty oh, yeah. so. Well, no, I, I think, I think, <laughs> you know, right now, like we're in a very, very sensitive time. People don't like me to talk about. I'm right now involved as we're taping this podcast. I guess I'm involved in a little Twitter spat with one of your guys from the Charges, well, Casey, Casey Hayward. Hayward. Man, do I and, have to be? Do I have to negotiate the man, here? Casey I mean, Hayward. Casey Hayward is mad. From a year ago, I called him a system player. When 85 percent of the league are guys that fit in systems. They need to be in a system that plays to their strengths. He took it as a diss, but little does he know the information I got came from coaches that coached him. (laughs) I mean, if your coach says, hey, he's a perfect guy in our system, what am I supposed to do with that information? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just relate it. He's he's mad at at the messenger. I'm like, dude, this is just a message. Yeah, man, I'm going to have to go. He starts whining and crying. My new little... I mean, Sully, you played four drops in ten minutes. Yeah, I'm on fire today, guys. <laughs> hey, I gotta, I gotta. If I gotta negotiate the piece, you know, I can do it. If uh, you know, if we can get, uh, if we can get the administration of our of our country, <laughs> North Korea together to have a meeting. Hey, maybe I gotta get Bucky and Casey Hayward together, try and see if I can negotiate. I gotta be Dennis Rodman here. I gotta be Dennis Rodman helping negotiate this piece. Oh, man. Oh, that is beautiful. So, then uh, you tell me, you tell me. Kids, Buck? Say what? What are the college kids? Yeah, any other college kids? Any takeaways just from those other guys watching them work out? Uh, you know, like just the athleticism. It's funny. I just read a piece on the MMQB. They were talking about all the quarterbacks. And I, I think, like, coming off of that, they were saying there are no, quote, unquote, surefire first-round picks. Um, but when I go back and I think about not necessarily the opening, but the Elite 11 finals where we had all those guys come out and you were able to talk to them and look yeah. at them, Will Greer, Jarrett Stidham, Trace McSorley, uh, Drew Locke was there. All those guys are there. I kind of disagree with like, I think those some of those guys are going to emerge as first round talents. But I think the guy that they talked about that I'm intrigued by was Trace McSorley. Uh, Trace McSorley um, is going to be lumped in the category as the undersized quarterback, the guy that can't necessarily play the position. But I do believe the game is trending. I'm not saying Trace McSorley is going to light it up as a quarterback, but I do believe the game is kind of changing where I don't know what to think about how I evaluate quarterbacks off my old scale because it used to be (laughs) height, weight, arm, arm strength, hand size, all those other things. I think we kind of have to throw that out the window, particularly with Baker Mayfield going number one overall. And I say that because Trace McSorley was like a legitimate prospect at safety coming out of high school. So that obviously speaks to his athleticism. Now we'll see what he tests and times like. But I just believe right now all of us should be in a holding pattern because 
I don't know if any of us know how NFL teams will view these quarterbacks, particularly as the game is changing at the NFL level. Yes, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and some of those guys play the game in a certain way. But when you look at the college game, it's so different from the NFL game. I just think it's very, very hard to pin, pin and peg quarterbacks this early in the process. Well, there's going to be first-round picks. I can promise you that. For it, sure. It happens. They're going to, guys are going to get pushed up, or they're going to elevate themselves, or others are going to elevate them uh, for selfish reasons. But, uh, no, I am, I am excited. When I, when I look at, really, to me, after that Elite 11 event and then watching what I've seen on tape and then placing a couple calls that guys have started to do early work on these top quarterbacks or who they perceive to be the top quarterbacks, uh, the names that really, to me, the names that I'm most intrigued by, just that I want to watch right out the gate, when you look at Jared Stidham, you look at Drew Locke, and you look at Will Greer. Those are the three guys I'm going to kind of have yeah. my eyes on. And we'll see other guys kind of climb through the pack and, and emerge and maybe guys we're not thinking about. I know Herbert's out here at Oregon. He's the other one I would put in there. So if you're going to say four, that would be four. He probably has the most upside of any of those guys, I would say, with Herbert. But again, I, I kind of put him in at the four spot just because everything I hear, and it's early, it just sounds like, you know, hey, this is somebody that probably uh, – uh, you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't count him in this next draft class. There's probably a good chance he sticks it out at Oregon. So Man, that's the, just the, the, the rumor so, out there. That's funny because he is the most intriguing to me because when I look at him – uh, the size six six two hundred. Look, last year I think we we talked to him at the media day, and his hands, like huge. we shook hands, huge hands. Uh, the athleticism, the way he spends it, I still believe he's a football novice. I don't think he's played enough college football to really know what he could be at the next level. But man, when you grade the flashes, the flashes are certainly impressive. And then I have this one note about Drew Lock because a lot of people are going to compare Drew Lock to Josh Allen, and I don't necessarily think their games are similar. Here's what I'll say about Drew Lock based on having conversation with people that were previously on that staff in Mizzou, when you look at him on tape, it looks like he stares down the receiver, that he looks to his primary, he has his eyes on him the entire time, and then he just throws the ball there, which would lead us to believe that he's going to throw a lot of interceptions at the NFL level. What I've been told is that they played a read system where he was directed to look directly at that receiver and that receiver was going to make an adjustment based on the coverage so some of what we're seeing on tape is how he is coached and that not that may not necessarily be how he plays at the next level when people free him from the system that he's currently under forgive me for not being able to focus here for a second buck because all i can think of is we had developed a relationship with jim ross last year the wrestling announcer when we interviewed him on our Baker Mayfield 360. So all I can think of is, Sully, we've got to call Jim Ross and get, oh, my God, it's Casey Hayward with the chair. <laughs> and then we just have a, we have the – Oh, my God, it's Casey Hayward music. <laughs> yes, the Casey Hayward. It's the Chargers. It can be the Chargers theme song. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> That's incredible. That is funny. Oh, so look, I, got, I got a random thing. So how about this? I bumped into Daniel Cormier yesterday. What? The two division champ, light heavyweight champ in the UFC. It's so funny. I was um I was over here at Fox. I was walking out of the building, and like literally, he just walks right past me. Like we almost bump into each other. And one, I'm gonna say this. Look, he's a bad dude because he won the title like Saturday night on like little under a minute or a minute and a half. He knocks Knocked the champ out, and I'm looking at him. And literally, I felt like I could eat peanuts off his head, like because he's he's not he's not a tall guy. But I'm looking at him like, man, this is the champ. Like, 
it's funny, and I was too embarrassed to take a picture with him, but I'm looking, and he had his whole family with him. I was like, geez, that is the champ. And I can think about this guy just put the champ to sleep, and I swear a few months ago, I just saw Bones Jones put him to sleep. Like the UFC, I love it. It is the craziest thing that I can ever imagine being a part of because literally one week you're knocked out, a couple months later you go and knock somebody else out. I cannot understand how random it is when they get in the octagon. All I know is when uh, when the fight ended and he called out Brock Lesnar and Lesnar <laughs> came out there, I was like, either Brock Lesnar is seven five. <laughs> It's both. It must be like 5'10". I mean, he looks, I mean, that's the crazy thing. That's one of the reasons why I tell, I, look, uh, PSA, uh, a little public service announcement, don't ever pick a fight with anybody. Like the days of like, <laughs> let's just pick a fight. You might see a small guy walking through the airport and trying to pick a fight. He might just be an NFL player. You might want to leave that one Pac-Man alone. Jones. Yeah. You might oh, see kind of a pudgy, line fat guy who's 5'10", and you might be some six foot five dude. You think you, you're going to take care of business? That might be Daniel Cormier. So my advice is somebody hits your shopping cart in the grocery store. Just wave and move apologize on. apologize to them. Just wave your hand and move on. Yep. Oh, Daniel Cormier, that's fantastic. Pac-Man with the footwork. Um, I love oh, it. That's great. <laughs> all right. Well, while, while you're out the opening, uh, we held down uh, in the studio, and then I ended up taking off for a little two-day trip down there to Orlando, um, kind of a relationship that that our buddy Charles Davis has helped develop uh, for me, just getting to know these guys with the Madden crew. Um, and they what they do is really cool. I had no idea they do this, but they bring in uh, speakers and, and consultants all the time from the NFL. P- player could be players, uh, position coaches, coordinators, head coaches, and literally, you just kind of sit in the conference room, and they just pepper you with with football questions. And you know, if you have a position coach in there, they're talking about technique and just trying to make the game as realistic as possible. Um, having me in there was a lot of personnel questions, team building, um, all different kinds of things. So I, you know, and this is really going to go towards uh, you know what happens in the future games. The the new game is already done, obviously. So this is going into future games, but just different areas they could explore. Um, and try and grow the game, you know, outside of what you see on the field. Um, they have big ideas and some big plans in place there. So it was fun. It was fun just to be uh, in that room. And even though it's technically a video game, fuck, we just sat in there and talked football for two days straight, you know, from, from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. You know, all these different things that we talk about on both on the pod as well as when we're just, you know, chilling in the green room. Uh, it was fun. Man. I had a great time down there. It's, it's a really cool setup they've got in Orlando. No, I can imagine it being really, really cool. Years and years ago, some of my best buddies used to work for EA, and they would uh, allow me to come through, and I would see, like, the setup. But Madden has exploded to the point now, man. It's a cultural phenomenon. And I think what is interesting that you spent a couple days there, I think it kind of coincides with the releasing of these rankings and seeing how mad – who make the rate, then they're just like, oh, here it comes. And they're just reading me the tweets that they're getting for the, for the number ratings they have on all these players. They're like, it's, I'm like, does anybody ever say anything nice to you? They go, nope, nothing. Oh, very, <laughs> very upsetting. And in fact, in my notebook, I'm going to talk about this because I noticed in their ratings, according to defense, uh, among the defensive players, they got J.J. Watt as the fifth best defensive player. J.J. Watt didn't play the last two years. Last two years, he hasn't played. <laughs> He's number five. Well, they, try, they, I, try, they talked all about this, how they, you, you know, have, try, trying to account for injuries, age, and adjusting things based off that. And then you got to have things in range where they can go up and down during the year, but they don't want to go too crazy high or too crazy low. So they were actually telling great stories about 
you know, certain players some years that um, it was, uh, oh gosh, it was, oh, it was Terrell Pryor when he was with Cleveland. Like, because they had brought him in, had a really low grade. And so a lot of it they base off of, uh, you know, production, no question. But then they legitimately talk to coaches around the league and, yep. and scouts, you know, guys, and try and gather information as best they can. Well, they had a, you know, 60-something grade on Terrell Pryor entering that year with uh, with Cleveland. He'd done nothing for Oakland. And then they got kind of, a, uh, they got some last-minute word from a coach or a source that said, hey, Terrell Pryor's been their best receiver in camp. Well, by the rating, he was their fourth or fifth best receiver that year. So they, before they release it, they end up kind of spiking him up a little bit to get him just like in a 70 range. But they're limited in terms of – it's like anchoring a draft board, right? Once you have that – Like once number, you're there, it's hard to move from fourth round to first round. Yeah. No question. So they have the same – they deal with some of the same things in a video game that we would deal with in setting a draft board. So it was very fascinating. No, nah, it looked like a, a fascinating deal. And, look, you can say whatever, like – the Madden franchise, that product is as realistic as it comes to um, the real game. And so when you think about franchise mode and building a team and all the ratings and the draft board and all of that other stuff, it all comes into play. So I'm excited that you had an opportunity to go down there, spend a couple of days, share some insights, some wisdom on the process of team building. And I'm even more excited to continue to pick your brain about these, these ratings and rankings and all this other stuff because yeah. when I saw it finally released, because I'm an old Madden head, I'm looking at it like, what? Got JJ Watt. <laughs> the other thing, look, you you should probably take this. You should probably send a tweet out to Mike Thomas and tell him, like, hey, man, I was instrumental in making you, like, the sixth highest wide receiver on Madden because I looked at his number. He's, like, sixth or seventh on the list. He's ahead of some, some dudes, A.J. Green and others. Yeah. I don't think he can complain anymore about being a guy that people slept on. I know he went in the second round, but I think he is getting his fair share of kudos and adulation from guys that are paying attention to the league. Well, just learn a little bit how can't guard Mike is wired, Buck, until he is the, <laughs> or the offensive player of the year or, or the MVP of the league. And until he, he has a 99 rating on Madden, he is not going to be happy. That's going to continue to drive him. Although I did oh, see something the other day that was kind of interesting about that, where uh, Drew Brees had gone on radio in Cleveland, and they had asked him about Mike Thomas, and I believe it was Drew Brees said something along the lines of, uh, I'll take all the Ohio State players we can get. Those guys show up, and they're, you know, exactly what you're getting with these guys. Um, it was like a real nice little uh, uh, PR there for the for the Ohio State Buckeyes, especially coming from a Boilermaker, uh, <laughs> from Drew Brees. But, yeah, no, it was it is interesting. And that I do think we think about it from a personnel standpoint. Uh, hey, we like drafting guys from certain schools and certain cultures that, that they're going to come in and fit us. But now, I mean, it was kind of eye-opening. Hey, the players, those veteran players, the same thing. Like, hey, let's, these are certain colleges that are produced the type of guys I want to play with. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I believe that is true. I believe because you're looking from a culture standpoint, what kind of culture were they embedded in for three or four years during those formative years, 18 to 22? Who has necessarily taught those guys how to play the game, taught them how to compete, taught them how to be pros before they're actually NFL guys? When you think about Ohio State and Urban Meyer and all the things that they have done, they certainly kind of set the standard for how guys should transition into the league. Their guys have played and played really, really well. They haven't had a lot of flame outs for guys that were top picks under his watch, under his direction. Um, I think you can say some of the same things, obviously, about Alabama. They produce them. Like, there's a reason why you go to those schools. You, you, you kind of content to shop at brand names because you typically know what kind of product you're getting when they have that buck out on their helmet. 
No question. All right, before we move on on the pod here, we do want to get some help from everybody that's listening out there. Uh, we, we've got these uh, podcast awards. You just got to go to www.podcastawards.com. You can nominate the Move to Six pod in the sports category. Simple. It's it's free. It doesn't cost anything. You just go to www.podcastawards.com. Uh, you click on listener, listener nominations. It's now open at the top of the page. Just sign up and, and do that. It'll be a huge help. So it's uh, the sports category, and you know the name of the podcast there, Move to Six. Whatever we got to do to keep around the NFL from winning all these awards, I, I'm just no. I'm more importantly, we want to win. Winning everything. More yeah, importantly, we we, we want to win. We like to win. We like to win a trophy. We like to have something that we can put up that's in right. here. Like that's that's the thing. Like to to be number one, everyone wants to be a champ. I like to get a ring. Yeah, yeah. yeah Blinders just, on. We don't need to worry about everybody else. We're worried about us. We're trying to take <laughs> no, over no. The but I, I just I'm telling you right now. I guarantee you that. I don't know how many different accounts he signed up for, but Hansis is at least 20 different accounts he signed up for and voted for himself. Yep. <laughs> he's got a couple it. burner accounts and burner emails accounts. So oh, yeah. 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 He eats Colangelo on that thing right now. I guarantee <laughs> it. Um, uh, Buck, real quick, I don't want to spend much time on this. It got a lot of buzz on the internet and Twitter, and people were having a big debate. An article written, I believe it was Andy Benoit, uh, that said, uh, you know, comparing college football and NFL football. I, to be full disclosure, did not read it. But I thought it was a good discussion to have briefly, just in terms of what do you prefer. Uh, it, to me, it's it's like choosing between your kids. Like I, I can't pick one. I, I love the NFL in in certain aspects and how that is special. And then the college football game is special in its own right. I don't. To me, it's a it's kind of a weird debate because I don't come down hard on either one of them. I think they're both fantastic. Yeah, I think they both are fantastic. I think it's very very interesting because uh, I think Andy's biggest uh, point in the NFL he talked about master uh, strategy, strategists in, in their game, tacticians going at it at the NFL level. But I believe when you look at the college game, I think you can make the same point. I actually find the college game a little more fascinating when it comes to scheme because there's so many variances in how people approach um, their business in that game. You think about how they play on defense, the, ver- the, the different offenses that we're seeing, spread, no spread is that exactly alike, the RPOs and all those things that we're seeing. I think what is interesting, like when you talk about the strategy of the NFL, every Sunday I'm seeing more and more of the Saturday game pop up. The RPOs, uh, copying plays, the tempo, the way people are going for it and doing uh, some trick you're putting guys in conflict. I believe college coaches actually don't get enough credit for the innovations that they make and they bring to the game that is eventually snatched up by NFL coaches as they look at tape and find some ideas very, very interesting. Yeah, I just, to me, I think the innovation always starts at the lower levels. You have, the reason why it starts at lower levels is because you have security. You're going to be a high school coach in the high school, you know, for 10 years. And you can play around with different ideas and throw some stuff against the wall and see what sticks. You get to the college level, the same thing. Uh, the, 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 you know, even if you're, if you're a team that doesn't have as much talent, you have to be creative in order to try and compete with teams that have more talent. If you're a team that has a bunch of talent, you're going to find yourself in situations where you have a comfortable game at hand and you can experiment with some stuff there. So there's just so much more experimenting taking place, whereas at the NFL level, there's very little patience and there's parity. So that, to me, lends a little bit less to being uh, a little risky and trying to throw some stuff up against the wall that might not uh, that might not work. Yeah, and I, you know, what, what's funny about the, the NFL game, like we always credit the innovators and particularly the offensive gurus but we're finding that those guys that are innovative are looking to the lower levels and they're stealing ideas. Everyone has heard about um, the nonstop attention that Lincoln Riley has gotten this offseason from NFL teams coming down, trying to learn more about Oklahoma system, how they can take some of those ideas and implement them at the upper level. Even thinking about your alma mater, um, 
it's kind of funny because I had a conversation with Natron Means and one of our teammates, Stu Holt, is the running back coach at Appalachian State. Yeah, I and follow Stu on Twitter. Yeah, nice. we, never knew that. And, he we, were, and we were talking, and we were talking about some of the things that App State does to put defenses in a bind. And I'm like, wow, that is absolutely crazy. But when you're at some of these schools and you're trying to kind of level the playing field and you're trying to come up with ways to stay one step ahead of the posse, you're willing to do some things in spring ball to see if it works and put them in playing games. I just believe at the lower levels, you have to pay attention to what is going on because it may not happen this year, but next year we'll see some of the things that go on on Saturday and even Friday nights make his way to the National Football League because everyone is trying to find an edge. And right now, the guys that are creating edge factors are down in the lower ranks. Yeah, and don't don't uh, don't tell Mike Rob, but uh, Bruce Bruce Feldman's freaks list came out, Buck, and he, he keeps updating it and on the athletic. Yeah, and numbers ten and eleven were both App Staters. We got an App State running back and an App State receiver. They're both athletic freaks. So don't tell. I'm don't, saying, don't, I'm, I'm, don't. I'm I'm just gonna go out. I'm gonna just go out. The fact Mike that yet. the fact that they're back to back would lead me to say that Bruce had a very nice visit to App State. I'm thinking that maybe he got a meal or two comped. I'm saying maybe he got a meal or two comped at the favorite restaurant down there in Boone. Someone took care of him. He had a nice day, a nice visit. It's almost like a scout. Like some days you have your good days and your bad days. Typically, I had really good days at school calls when maybe they slipped a little cookie, a cookie down there, gave us a little lunch, hooked us up a little bit. I didn't have to spend any pocket. That's that's how it goes. We got a receiver that ran a 10-2-9 on the track team. Like, he's legit. We got legit dudes. So, uh, no, it's going to be fun. Penn State, just, just just take it easy. Just just don't don't keep your don't keep your sights on see, us. Be looking ahead. And just, you're going to be fine. See, be careful. Don't you worry to, about us. You have to be careful because if you draw too much attention to App State, it may that's be a saying. whiteout. Then Penn State, when they have the whiteout, that's when everyone comes in white. It's real loud. Happy Valley gets rocking. I don't know. I don't know if you want that much attention. That's going to be a sleepy nude game on ESPN News, and App State's coming in and going to shock them. Oh, Sully, you're drinking Kool-Aid. You're so I'm drinking it. DJ's been been harping on this first big game upset from App State for the last two years. He had Tennessee two years ago. He had Kent's Miami Hurricanes last year. Almost got Tennessee. Miami, not so much. It's, It's coming. I it's think Car- Carolina's on the schedule in a couple. Carolina's on the schedule in a couple years. He's confused. He's getting his years confused. We went down to Tennessee, physically dominated them the whole game. It let us slip. Didn't finish the, didn't didn't finish finish. the job. Yeah. We played Miami, I believe, two weeks after that. So they're oh, that's right, that's right. It was the same year. It was the same of the year. We put on the Volunteers, and so they were ready. So now we go to last year. We come in there at Georgia. Georgia. That's right. They start Eason who was terrible, and we're right in the game. And then we went ahead, and I don't know if we hurt Eason or what happened, but next thing you know, Fromm came in there. Oh, there was that one that one of his first throws was the Nauta over the middle and uh, uh, over top the linebacker underneath the safety. And I was like, okay, this is great. The Georgia <laughs> found their starting quarterback. <laughs> oh, boy. Good. Sure enough, good. he's pretty good. He is pretty um, good. Buck, real quick here. I know we're getting short on time. I want to run through these grades here real quick. I'm going to give you – I was just looking over a, a NFL grading system for one of the teams that I worked for. So um, I'm going to just kind of run through the the letter – or the the number grade, the description of the number grade. And I just thought it would be a fun exercise. Just kind of the first pro name that comes to your mind that fits into this category. Are you ready? Yep, let's do it. All right. The 80, as you know, is, the, is kind of a perfect player here. And, and on the pro side, once you've seen it at the NFL level, it's easier to give those out. Um, than it would be on the college scale. But here's the definition of an 8-0 player. 
a rare player performing at a Pro Bowl level on a consistent basis. Opponents must account for this player on every snap. Ooh. Man. To me, the first name that pops for me is Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. So that's what I, that's the first thing that came to mind. 8 0. 8 He's an 8 0. That's 8 0. That's the equivalent to a 99 on Madden now. Yeah, that's a 99. That's what it is. It's a 99 on Madden. 8 0. All right, we'll go Aaron Donald as a team. Team vote on that. All right, we get yeah, to the 7 5 level. 7 5. Um, and 8 0 to 7 0 is, is a starting level grade. So the 7 5 grade. A player who is consistently performing at a high level. He'll start for any team in the NFL. He'll make an impact on the outcome of each game. Mm, I think you can put, let's go wide receiver. I think you could put Oda Beckham Jr. in that category. Yep. I think you could put Julio Jones in that category. You almost could put Julio Jones closer to that 8 category just based on his prototype size and stuff like that. But Odell would be a nice fit as a 7.5. I like that. I like those answers. Now we get to there's these grades are kind of connected. The seven three and the seven two, and you'll see the difference here. Seven three is an ascending young player who can perform at a high level but lacks some consistency due to size, experience, or production. This play player is capable of performing at a seven five level. So still kind of emerging and, and trying to get into that category, a 7-3 trying to get into a 7-5 category. So this is funny because this is the grade that I put on the guy when he was coming out. Um, Jared Goff, I gave like a 7-2, 7-3 just mm-hmm. because like I thought he was a solid starter. I thought he'd be alone, but I worried about some of the inconsistency. I think if we look at the way that he played last year, you still wonder how much is him, how much is system and scheme. So 7-3 to me seems to be like the nice resting point for where he would be, whereas some would put Carson Wentz at a 7-5 or higher level already. I think Jerry Goff is probably a better fit right at 7-3. Uh, that's a good one. And for me, um, I'm going to go with the guy who you know has battled some injuries last year, but it, it kind of fits perfectly with the you saw glimpses of the 7-5. I put Miles Garrett at a 7-3 level. Mm, okay. Say so he's an ascending player who I think is going to be a seven-five player, but right now he's he's knocking on the door. He's right there, so I put him as a as a seven-three. No, I think that I think that's a good point. I think what people have to understand, like the grading process is ever evolving, it's always changing. Like good teams are always reevaluating their teams. They reevaluate at the end of the season. They reevaluate them after the off season. They're constantly evaluating them in training camp. You're always looking at your guys, and just because a guy comes in like. Garrett, I don't know what your final. What was your final grade when he was coming out of college? Oh, it was on a college scale, so it was a different grading scale. But on the college scale of Miles Garrett, I mean, it was it was about as good as you can get. It was I gave him a sixty nine on a scale. The college scale goes to eight zero, but it's broken down differently than this one. But it's I, I it's the I would say I gave a seven zero to Saquon Barkley. Yeah, and then that's the highest grade I've given in the last probably five years. And six nine is obviously so one notch. Okay, that. so just thinking about that, just using that, you gave Miles Garrett maybe a top of the top of the scale grade as a college yeah, prospect number one, player in the draft. number one player in the draft you graded him as such but even then that doesn't necessarily make him a perfect player in the national football league because there's still some development that must take place you still have to see them continue to grow their game or whatever and so for him to come in at a 7-3 level it just talks about the process of getting to that 8-0 perfect player range means you have to have a consistent um a consistent track record of dominance at a high level over years to kind of get to that 8-0 mark. It's not just a one-year flash in the pan. 
No question. All right, this is going to be an interesting one. Now we get to so seven three. We're talking about ascending young player that's going to get shows glimpses of that you know, high playing at that high Pro Bowl level player. Then seven two is the opposite. That's a descending veteran player who will who can perform at a high level but lacks consistency due to age, size, injury, or production. This player is capable of playing at a seven five level. But basically, you're saying he's not what he was. But you still see those those glimpses and those flashes of playing at an elite level. And I'm anxious to see what the first name that comes to your mind is on this one. Honey Badger, Tyron Matthew, to me, is a guy that would kind of fit in that category. We've seen him at his best at Arizona, uh, but injuries have kind of taken some of the, the juice out of his legs. Uh, age, you begin to wonder, is he ever going to get back to that level? Still can make some plays. But right now, I think we would view Honey Badger as a descending player rather as an ascending player based on the injuries and the way that his game has looked on tape the last couple of years. Yeah, no, that's that's a really good one. Uh, I, I like that one a lot. Gosh, to me, the, the name that kind of popped into my head actually was Roethlisberger. Oh, who, yeah. Who's still outstanding, but I, you know, you still, uh, I think he's, he's taken a little bit of a step back from, from what he was when he was a little bit younger, just in terms of some of the mobility and some of the things he used to be able to do. And I think it's kind of that age and injury, that combination of the two, two factors that, that put him to me in that seven, two category. There's, there's weeks he plays like a seven, five, there's weeks he plays like a seven, one. So I put him right there in that seven, two. No, I, I mean, I think, I think that's it. And I think the big thing when we're looking at players, particularly veteran players, trying to predict when they're going to fall back to the pack. You have to pay close attention to how they looked and how they currently look. And you can't necessarily grade those guys with loving eyes. You have to be able to take the blinders off, take the name off the back of the jersey, and just grade the player for what he is. And with Ben Roethlisberger, we give him a lot of credit for winning a couple of Super Bowls, for being a guy that has played at a high level for a long time. But he has started to slip and regress a little bit. How much? Maybe a little bit. But you are beginning to think, like, you know what? It's coming to an end for him. How long can he stave it off before he completely kind of falls off the cliff as a player? Yeah, I'm with you. All right, we get to the 7-1 level now. This is a dependable NFL starter with no major holes, and his current team is not looking to replace him. So just kind of like this is like that steady Eddie. You know, you put him up there, you can win with him. He's a solid starter. We're not looking to replace him. Not necessarily that elite level player, but you can win with him. That's that's the seven one grade. You know, it's funny uh, because they did replace him, but I would say Alex Smith to me is kind of like a seven one player. Um, yeah. He's a solid starter. You feel okay about him. You're not necessarily looking to replace him, but you always want if you can get better at the position. I think he's a solid starter. He can win a lot of games, but he's not at the top of the chain when it comes to evaluating your top elite quarterbacks. Yeah, to me, like a seven-one, like I think of a guy like a Robert Woods. You know, he just a dependable, solid. reliable, solid player. You know, he's a seven-one all day long. Um, we get to the seven-zero grade. This is a capable. This is the last grade in the starting caliber player. Mm-hmm. So a capable NFL starter who may have peaked and has some playing weakness that he cannot overcome. So there's a little deficiency that exists there. Um, but he's a starter. I mean, you can play with him. You can win some games with him. But there is a, there's a little bit of a weakness there that exists. Mm, like, see. to me, right now at his age, um, I would probably put, and he at least had a Hall of Fame-type career with all of his production, I'd probably put Frank Gore as a 7-0. Oh, you know, nice. He's, he's, got, he's got a limitation just in terms of the speed that's not there. So it's kind of funny. Like so you're thinking, you're thinking Frank Gore. I'm thinking, man, Larry Fitzgerald, but he may be a little higher than that. But – you know, you've seen. The I think, I think days. Fitz, Fitz, Fitz was an 8-0 player at one point. Then he was a 7-5 player, 
And then it, the, you would debate in the room would be, is he a 7-2 two or is he a 7-1? Yeah, I think that's there. kind of where I would have him. Yeah, so this like a 7-0 is just a solid, just a solid, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Just kind of a, you know, like you can play, you can throw him out. Like Jonathan Stewart's another one to me. Like he's a 7-0. Probably one yeah, a little Jay bit Stu, more. Jay Stu is, is probably the perfect example. Like he can start for you. You may not want him to start all 16 games, but if you had to go through the season with him, you're okay doing it. But if you had a young guy, you're hoping the young guy can replace him. Perfect. That, that was a fun exercise. That's a starting level. We won't go through and give examples of the other ones, but I'll run through the rest of the scale here. Just people that have ever been curious about uh, how you grade these guys at the pro level. And this is just an example, one of the teams I worked for. Uh, so that's a starter grades, 8-0 to 7 The backup grades, 6-5 to 6-0. A 6-5, a reliable backup that can start the remainder of the season if a starter goes down early. Uh, a 6-3 is an ascending young player that could start if necessary and should develop into a starter in time. So you're envisioning him being a 7-1 type player you know, as he grows. Uh, a 62, same type of deal, a descending veteran player that could start if necessary, but he makes a team based primarily on his experience. And then a 6-0 player, a player that can spot start on a limited basis. A lot of times I get asked, uh, you know, and then beneath that is the role player grades and you kind of go through the role players. I get asked all the time about what's the difference between a backup player and a role player. To me, a backup player, if your starter goes down, he can step in and perform all of the starting duties. He might not do them all at the same level, obviously, as a starter, but I, he can he can perform in those areas. A role player to me is, look, he can only play on passing downs. He cannot hold up against the run. He has one specific role. Uh, that's the difference to me. You have to have it carved out a specific role versus somebody that's just not quite as good as the starter, uh, but he can still perform all those duties. Yeah, I think I think that's a good uh, definition. Uh, role players are guys that have a certain set of skills that allow them to function in one particular role. Um, if you think about it, Cole Beasley would be a role player to me. Cole Beasley's skill set leads me to believe that he is best suited to only play in the slot. If he was anything else, if he was elevated to the number two receiver and he had to start at X or start at Z, I don't think that would be doing him um, – the be- that wouldn't put him in the best position to succeed, whereas if you just put him in the slot, he can be an A-level player in the slot just because his game is built to play in the slot. No question. So uh, that's kind of a little fun little exercise. It's it's good sometimes when you – however, if you watch players and you like to write reports for fun or uh, you like to grade players, put don't just use the numbers. Don't just come up with a number system. You need to put a definition to the number uh, I help you classify these guys. We talk about putting them in different buckets or different pods and how you, you know, neighborhoods is whatever phrase you want to use. Uh, but having that language associated with your grade is huge. Okay, yeah. I mean, I think I think that is it. I think what would be cool if we could, I would have to dig in the garage a little bit and see if I can find it, but put a grading scale up for the masses to see, to kind of mm-hmm. help them kind of develop their own grading system um, going forward so when they're looking at these guys throughout the fall whether it be college or pro they can begin to kind of try and find a way to categorize the guys to separate them because right now especially when we hear the run-up to the draft we hear people talk about on my board i have him as a first rounder this and that but it really should go beyond that what do you really think the player is like what kind of role could you see him filling at the next level is he a capable starter capable of starting for all 32 teams or is he a guy that fits best with a certain scheme and he could be a starter in that that is the challenge of trying to scout the way that we're doing it now as opposed to working for a team where you have a hard and fast set of criteria that you're looking for a guy to check off. No question. Uh, but we'll get that out there. We can, we can put our heads together and come up with a scale uh, based off places we've worked and, and, and put it on Twitter so everybody can see it and 
have a good idea of uh, of how to grade these players and, and where to put them. But uh, Buck, that was a jam-packed episode today. I know we've got a run. We've got uh, I don't know who's coming in, Sully. We got Damashek coming in. We got ATN coming in. Who's coming? Yeah, in the I think we're, uh, we're shooting for for Dave coming in, and we'll we'll talk Jacob. Oh yeah, we'll definitely. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely we'll definitely get out of the way for Dave. We like Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's going to do it for us today. Buck, anything else you want to add before we get out of here? No, that's it. I think real quick, we'll touch on the supplemental draft. We had two guys that were drafted oh, yeah, go for it. Uh, Wednesday in the supplemental draft. Sam Bill from Western Michigan drafted in the third round, went to the New York Giants. I thought this guy had a chance to come off the board in the second round. Smooth, fluid, polished. Um, six foot, 185. Does a great job using a variety of techniques on the edge. He has an opportunity to really be an outstanding player. Dave Gelderman said that they believe he has a chance to be a starter for them in time. Really liked his talent. And then Adonis Alexander went to the Washington Redskins in the sixth round. When I looked at him on tape, he has a body type that is going to kind of bring the comparisons of Richard Sherman. Long range. He does a great job playing press. He should be a nice fit and that defense, they lost Kendall Fuller. They needed to get another corner that could kind of fit a role in that secondary. Oh, good work there. I've heard in talking to people around the league, there was some, definitely some interest in both these guys. Um, some concerns with Beal were the weight. Yeah, I think at the, at the workout, he was in the 170s, even though he played in the 180s. So that was kind of play strength was the knock on him. And then I think with Donis, you had a little bit of some stuff off the field. Teams were trying to sort through there uh, to get comfortable with him there. But Redskins in the sixth round, shoot, why not take a shot? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what you should do. You should be able to just um, take a shot on those guys. The thing that I talked to a scout about, he said when you take a guy in a supplemental draft, it kind of hamstrings you because now you're working really with a 52-man roster because that guy needs to be on your team and you forfeit a pick from the next draft. So you kind of have a guy that's behind the eight ball and you're hoping that maybe somewhere in the season he can give you some contributions. No question. Well, good work there on the supplemental draft. That is behind us. What is ahead of us? Uh, that's training camp right around the corner. We've got NFL training camp. We've got the college football season uh, on the way. And we have all of your football needs covered right here on Move the Sticks. Be sure to subscribe, download, tell a friend, all that fun stuff. Uh, Apple Podcasts, you find us there. You'll find us uh, NFL.com slash podcast. You find out all of our videos, NFL.com slash MTS videos. We've got our under 30 series going uh, where we end up picking one player at all these individual positions that we'd want for one play, one drive, one game in the next five years. Uh, you can check those out at nfl.com slash mtsvideos, uh, or you can find it on YouTube on the NFL channel. That's going to do it for us today. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks for downloading Move the Sticks with Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. For more, go to nfl.com slash podcasts. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids, Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. 
Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org.